1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is king. There's no neutrality. There's no exile. There is no surrender. My name is Jason. With me again are my brothers, Jordan and John. What's up? Howdy, howdy. How are you guys doing today? Not too shabby. Not getting, getting over a cold, but feeling good. Good. You're still with us. I'm loving how the Crossing Crown kids are going around asking about... Uh, when is the time for justice? You hear them talking about it. <laughs> yes, they are. They are <laughs> quoting our intro music there pretty uh, pretty phenomenally, especially the uh, Monty Python there bit about uh, strange women, strange women ponds, yes. distributing swords. <laughs> they will understand that eventually. My son, he's 11, he asked, he's like, what is, what is this? I don't even understand what you're talking about. And <laughs> Jordan, you gave him a little lesson tonight. Well, didn't that. he ask about, well, why is it okay for God to break the law? Or somebody asked that. Because yes. they didn't get that the following clip is, uh, you know, the one that's saying, no, you may not. No, you're not allowed. <laughs> God didn't break the law for love. Sounds pious, though, doesn't it? But it's unbiblical. Well, anyway. That it is. Yeah. Um, it's good to be with you all again. Thank you, listeners, for all of your support. Thank you for hanging out with us. We've got a great episode. We're going to talk about whistleblowing a little bit well, in a few minutes. We want to cover a couple other items, though. And just some huge stuff in the news right now with Julian Assange and all this, uh, the WikiLeaks stuff. We, we want to cover some of that. And um, but before we get into that, though, WikiLeaks, I, I just, yeah, I have As to Trump say, say, yeah, WikiLeaks, I have to say, I am just so thrilled and praise God for, for many of you who have um, emailed us, you've written us on Facebook, uh, just asking about our huge announcement that we put out there this week um, being, oh, this is huge. The Cross and Crown Seminary. Cross and Crown Seminary. And we already have six six students going in. I couldn't believe we get that many that's it. That's crazy. It's so crazy. What a blessing. What a joy it is to. We want to teach the comprehensive faith for all of life. And that's one of the aspects of, of our ministry here is we, we're teaching that. We want that to be to be implemented where you're at. And so yeah, you can learn more on our website. We have very little slots left. Um but I'm really excited, though. I, I'm just praying that God does great things. I believe he will through this effort. What an opportunity this is for these new students, I guess you'd call them. Yeah, they're students of the word, and it's a great opportunity. I'm excited about it because I get to, to encourage them and pour into them uh, as they're studying and learning. 
uh, about a ton of stuff, Old Testament, New Testament, systematic theology, um, everything to social order. You can find that on crosscrownchurch.com slash seminary. Beautiful. That website's there. So just a just a wonderful thing. What a blessing. And I'm excited and eager to get that going. Um, so, yeah. So let's, let's move into it because we're going to have a lot of stuff to say on this topic, I think. There's a lot of ground to cover. And I just want to say kind of a forewarning to our listeners. Um, this, is, this is heavy stuff. It's tangled up in this huge statist um, kerfuffle. Al- albatross. Yeah. yeah, for real. It's a massive, massive topic. And so we want to let you know ahead of time that we've, we have <laughs> looked a lot of stuff up. We've been researching. We're not, you know, we don't know everything there is to know. Um, we're not omniscient. But we have spent a lot of time trying to lay out what are the issues at stake here with, you know, a big government with whistleblowers who are trying to step in and, you know, essentially do that, blow the whistle and say, hold on, this is wrong. We need to put a stop to this. How do we how do we deal with those types of things? Because because, frankly, we have conservatives who are probably more statist than even a lot of liberals in a lot of ways. But we need to think clearly about it. We need to lay out the issues. And so we want to start really by who are the players? What are we thinking about with Julian Assange and Edward Snowden? Um, we have Bradley Manning, who goes by Chelsea Manning. Right. It's, what do we what do we do with that? It's definitely a tangled web. But most of you probably have heard, if you haven't been living under a rock this past week, that Julian Assange has been dragged out of his embassy where he was taking uh, asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And I'm just going to read to you uh, a quick brief article snippet just to give you set the table for what's going on right now with Julian Assange. And then we'll sort of zoom out a little bit and give you an overview of what's going on with the others. So according to the BBC, WikiLeaks co-founder Julian Assange has been arrested at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Assange took refuge in the embassy in 2012, originally, to avoid extradition to Sweden over a sexual assault case that has since been dropped. At Westminster's Magistrate's Court on Thursday, he was found guilty of failing to surrender to the court. He now faces U.S. federal conspiracy charges related to one of the largest ever leaks of government secrets. The U.K. will decide whether to extradite Assange in response to allegations by the Department for Justice that he conspired with former U.S. intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning to download classified databases. He faces up to five years in prison in the U.S. if convicted on the charges of conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. Wow. And so that's probably what everyone has been seeing in the news. There's uh, very memorable images of Assange sort of being drug, drug out of the Ecuadorian embassy. It looks like the, he grew himself a beard. Car. Yeah, they definitely mm-hmm. did the perp walk <laughs> uh, for him. Uh, how nice of them. And so uh, for any of you, you know, who don't know the history of it, uh, Julian Assange, he's the founder of an organization called WikiLeaks as we mentioned. And WikiLeaks is uh, supposed to be an anti-secrecy organization. And it has functioned that way in great measure. Um, the idea is to provide a place to allow whistleblowers to release information publicly when they come across corruption and to do so without fear of reprisal, right? And so that's the, um, that's the idea behind WikiLeaks. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a terrific idea, a terrific <laughs> organization, an anti-secrecy organization where you have the ability for people who are in organizations that are... Um, uh, engulfed in steep corruption that the public has a vested interest in knowing about and um, to provide a place for that to happen. Right, right. right. I mean, it sounds like a good thing to me. And it really, a lot of this depends on what direction you're coming from. Are we more concerned about the privacy of private individuals within society, families, fathers, mothers, children, or are we more concerned about the privacy of these monolithic leviathan governments who uh, frankly are in the business of mass murder and setting up economic empires across the world and mass surveillance and you can go on and on and on um, I would side with the individuals like I, I'm more in favor of protecting the privacy of individuals mm-hmm. and their right to uh, distri- distribute information their own information their own uh, knowledge as opposed to the rights of the United States federal government or Great Britain or China or Russia, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this and it says that it was founded in 2006 and I'm just wondering why it took so long. 
exactly for all this to come out. Why did, why did it take so long for us to try to put a halt? Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Right. To not yet, yeah, not not taking so long for it to reveal itself. Well, it's, but, it's dangerous. Well, it's dangerous. Look what yeah. Nixon. I mean, all this stuff from the seventies. We abandoned the gold standard. We started the drug war. There's all this nonsense that's been going on for a long, long time. It's, we didn't wake up last week and there was suddenly a status problem been going on for a long time mm-hmm. so yeah i guess i mean that tongue-in-cheek but man like yeah well it's it's really blown up so it's not just julian assange and the founder of wikileaks now all of these sources have uh, you know been able to put these reports on wikileaks so you all heard of edward snowden former cia former government contractor leaked nsa information um he had to uh, after he leaked the information he flew to russia he got uh, caught there because they had a secret indictment against him that was uncovered and so he was stuck in the Russian airport for a month before Russia finally gave him asylum there but he uncovered all sorts of corruption in the NSA things that the NSA was lying about mm-hmm. uh, lying about the nature of the surveillance that they conduct on American citizens and the the breadth of that surveillance I mean this was nightmarish quality of like situations right when you think of the worst possible data gathering government schemes that you can imagine this is like bond villain sort of stuff where the government is spying on each and every person on each and every device that's literally what they were doing right winston in 1984 right right orwellian nonsense and it's the old argument of well we need safety so we're and we need security so we're gonna infringe on freedoms that whole Mindset and and the idea was initially that if they needed information on someone, someone's phone record, somebody who was a potential terrorist or so forth, they would go to a judge and they would get a warrant and they would get an individual license to go to the phone company to check that individual's phone records, text messages, internet activity, and so forth. But what Snowden uncovered was that they were just gathering mass amounts of data and holding the whole database for anyone who they wanted to check in on. And Snowden in his in his time at the uh, CIA, he could just go in and just look at people's activity because it was so broad. And it was just absolutely open, even to a, a, an analyst such as himself. And, right. you know, that's one thing when I was researching Snowden a few years ago, and I thought this to myself because it's almost like a, a, a spy drama. It's almost like right. reading a Tom Clancy novel or right. something. But if this were a novel, if this were a movie, everyone would be rooting for Edward Snowden. Everyone would be rooting for these guys because they're the heroes of the story. But because they're real people, because we are fearful people, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's not uh, a fantasy anymore. We're fearful people. They get turned around and twisted into bad guys. And people like Snowden and others, they did this at great personal cost to themselves. Yeah, none of this was just flippant decisions. They, They had to count the cost. Because there's even reports of um, Manning being tortured. <laughs> like, yeah, so this isn't just a oops, you know, I caught the government, you know, they took extra money out of my paycheck. Right. So Bradley Manning now goes by Chelsea Manning. This is not uh, totally pertinent, but he had a sex change. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. he goes by Manning, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Manning now. Anyways. He was a U.S. Army intelligence analyst, and he also leaked to WikiLeaks a whole trove of information, including like terrible war crimes. We're talking torture. We're talking rapes. We're talking attacks on civilians and um, and, and pregnant women. All these. There's the the famous um, a helicopter attack where they 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 were shooting up uh, uh, routers, uh, Reuters uh, journalists yeah, from yeah. and then sort of like laughing about it and carrying on. And and so all this information that he uncovered as the whistleblower um, because it was not being dealt with and he uncovered all that information and he paid the price for it. So he uh, was, was charged with all of these, uh, with all of these crimes. And after that happened, eventually Obama commuted his sentence right as he was leaving. So he spent a, a, a number of years in prison, I believe. And then Obama ended up commuting his sentence. I think about about five or six years, I think. But, so right. what, are, what are these guys, what are they, what are they, what are the big issues that they are uncovering? What are they blowing the whistle on? Because, I mean, you've said a little bit of it. We have, 
you know, the nonsense of the Patriot Act. Because we've we have officially, it's official. We don't care about freedom and liberty in our country anymore. That's, safety and security. Yeah. Safety and security. I don't know who said it. Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, somebody. You know, you you trade you trade your uh, freedom for security. You'll find you'll have neither. Yeah. Maybe who knows? Maybe it was one of the Adams. But point being, that's what we have. We have the TSA. We have this who hasn't stopped a terrorist attack. By the way, uh, we have all this government intervention. We, we uh, did this whole homeland security thing where we just pulled everything underneath one you know, giant umbrella and we have evidence of being spied upon. Like this is not, this isn't even like a light, small little thing and we're just making a big deal out of it. Right. It's a major, major stuff. To kind of deconstruct this just from a conceptual standpoint. So the idea of secrecy and privacy, okay? So... In your individual life, you know, can you keep a diary? Sure. Can can a wife and husband keep a correspondence that's private and shouldn't be for others to see? Sure. And should anyone go and try and get that information? No. Right. So just on a personal level, you know, you have secrecy. And then if you're a civil magistrate, you know, do you maybe take notes to yourself about who oh, I, I'm not going to trust that person? I He's not convicted, but I don't really trust them. You take notes. So you have it's OK to, for you to keep notes and, and private documents and those sorts of things. But the minute that those become basically a cover to, uh, to um, cover up your corruption, and the minute that people, if, if, if you are corrupt, and if that information is exposed, and then you're going after the person for exposing your corruption, then that's where we have a problem. Right, because you have a higher duty at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, you're- This is what it's always going to be boiling down to, is that yes, they did break laws. Right. Shocker. And yeah. The thing is, that alone, that one statement, they broke laws, is enough for many, many Christians. If they broke the law, throw them in a cage. Yeah, and I remember they asked Snowden specifically about that. I think it was an ABC interview that they got into his hotel or something to actually ask him a question in an interview about, well, you know you're breaking laws. And Edward Snowden, he's not a Christian, but he made a very poignant point. He said, you know, there's a difference between... Or, or it's not always the same thing, what is legal and what is moral. Mm-hmm. And if Edward Snowden can like make that distinction and most understand that. Most, most pulpits can't. A lot of people in the church that. have problems understanding that concept. <laughs> yeah. Morality right, exactly. and legality. And he's completely right. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to sit here and defend the character of Chelsea Manning. Or, yeah, or Julian. Or Julian we don't even Assange, know. Yeah. Who, for all I know, could just be this... You know, narcissist, who this knows? Complete playboy narcissist, you know. Yeah, right. And and of course Edward Snowden also, who who isn't a Christian. I'm not gonna defend their character right. necessarily or their personal morality, but they get some stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially Snowden with that statement. There is a higher law. There is a difference between morality and the man written laws of, of human beings. And if we're going to just sit by and say, you deserve to be thrown in a cage indefinitely because you broke a man-made law when you were actually only guilty of exposing evil. Right. Then we're really crossing a bridge there I don't want to cross. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's a reason that the NSA, the CIA, you know, all the state governments basically have their version of those. Um, and the states themselves, you know, the uh, Secretary of State Clinton and her emails, you know, that she was had to wipe from the private server that all her secrets and she didn't want well, Hillary Clinton sure is glad right now that Julian Assange is getting oh, arrested. Yeah. That should tell you something right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it gets to a point where you, you realize they have to keep so many secrets because if people knew the truth about how these states were acting and it was open then they would be embarrassed and their legitimacy would be harmed. Now, to a certain degree to which um, they can, people can find stuff out, and as we're seeing, and still do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And still, but they, the state still has a very vested interest in making sure that their dirty secrets are not exposed. And people like Assange and Snowden and uh, Manning, they're punished primarily for whatever they did, they're punished for embarrassing the state and right. delegitimizing the state. The emperor has no clothes. And, and, and Gary North actually had a lot to say about secrets and how, um, in his book, Conspiracy. And um, first, I just want to read to you a, a passage from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. 
And this passage says, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Right? And so this this idea of fearing the states, fearing the state's secrets, we can know that they have secrets, but we shouldn't be driven to utter paralysis in our everyday life because they hold these secrets, Mm -hmm. right? Because ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than whatever the state is doing. Yeah, Um, We have a ministry, the gospel is a public ministry. Jesus Christ said that what he did, everything he did was in public. We're not hiding the gospel. It wasn't done in a corner, Paul says in Acts. Right, and so... That's uh, John 18, 19 through 21. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. So Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not like you guys running around in secret, whispering in back corners. I might speak in parables, but the parables are themselves only to be understood by those who I've given ears to hear. But as far as the public ministry of what he was doing in the gospel, everything was out in the open. He wasn't hiding in dark corners. And North had um, this to say in conspiracy on the subject, quote, um, on open versus secret. So Jesus' answer to the Pharisees proclaimed a fundamental principle of biblical organization, the open ministry. Jesus presented his whole message publicly. He spoke in parables, of course, but these only illustrated general principles. The parables did not establish some sort of secret conspiracy. He gave his disciples no program of secret initiation, no recruiting system based on something other than profession of faith in Christ and service to others. He told his opponents that they would be wasting their time to go hunting for secret messages or hidden codes in his public proclamations. Every, every principle in his message came from the Old Testament, which was a public document in Israel. This organizational principle places the church in opposition to numerous secret societies. Jesus admonished his listeners, Ye are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Uh, The principle of open covenants openly arrived at is basic to the history of Western civilization. It is basic to all constitutionalism. The idea that the way to gain influence is by secret manipulation and hidden agendas is foreign to the Bible. What men are to do is to bring other men openly and publicly under God's four covenants, personal, church, family, and state. Not by secret initiation, but by public baptism. Not by hidden sacrifices, but by Christ's public sacrifice on the cross. And by our public communion, the Lord's Supper, are we to exercise dominion. End quote. So that's why Gnosticism is incompatible with the gospel. That's why Freemasonry is incompatible. These secret societies that do not act as though God is sovereign. You, I get Proverbs 15:3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So what we're talking about is transcendency. God is the transcendent one in this covenant relationship. And so there really ultimately is no secret, right? There's nothing hidden from God. There can't be. It's impossible. Right. His eyes are everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing like when you think about whether that's an elder who's examined um, there's qualifications in the scriptures for that. Um, your life is an open book. You you are to be examined, and it's the same same thing for the government. These conservatives who have decided to um, criticize WikiLeaks and Snowden and all of these guys for, um, you know, it's bad for our nation if you let these secrets out. Well, no, Paul says in Ephesians. You said it earlier, John. We're supposed to expose evil. That's what it does. Right. And it's also telling, you say it's the conservatives that are cheering on Julian Assange getting arrested. It's also the Democrats. Yes. It's also yeah. the liberals. When you see such unity between the <laughs> Democrats and the Republicans, you should know something's up. <laughs> something's really wrong. The well, thing that's being threatened isn't conservatism and it isn't liberalism. The thing that's being threatened is the state. Yep. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? And the state should fear because, frankly, this is a war between governments, the government of God right. or the government of Satan. Yep. Right. Power religion at its finest. Amen. And at, at, at the most, they're using Assange like a political football. 
because you know the he'll uncover something nasty that happened under Bush during the Iraq War, and the conservatives were like, "Oh, Snowden, we gotta put him in jail," mm-hmm. and then he'll uncover the the Hillary Clinton's emails. And I'm like, oh yeah, Snowden, champion of freedom. Like, you know, there's no. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Trump was saying that he loved WikiLeaks right. when he was, you know, on yeah. the campaign trail. Yeah. Whenever Snowden, not Snowden, I'm sorry. When WikiLeaks was releasing Hillary Clinton emails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, things are things have changed now because Trump is part of the establishment at this point. Yeah. If your argument is based on its convenience to your side, you've lost it. Right. You don't have any principles now. You are arguing for pure subjectivism. No, absolutely. So what would we say to those individuals, um, you know, our friends who are on the other side of this debate, who are very much opposed to these whistleblowers, they say, well, I'm not so much concerned about these dark secrets of government officials being exposed. What I'm concerned about is the, the lonely army infantrymen who might get hurt because of troop movements being released, so on and so forth. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, that begs a whole a host of other things, too, okay. right? You have... Yeah, I, I think that the whoever is releasing the documents, ha, it's incumbent upon them to do whatever they can to make sure they're not just relaying troop positions so that the troops can get blown up. Um, and I think to some degree, actually, Snowden and Assange, they did participate in some level of redactions. So to not put certain people in harm's way. I don't know, to be honest with you, the degree to which they were successful at those redactions, but I know some level of effort was made. Um, so, uh, you know, if you are a whistleblower, you should seek not to have collateral damage. If there's, um, if there's damage that's going to be done, that has, um, that's just only going to put people in, in danger. And, um, then you should seek to not, you know, release that information. But that does not mean that because, um, there's a chance that someone somewhere might be harmed that therefore all of the systemic government corruption should be hidden under a bushel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is uh, a little bit of a tension there. And I don't want to be irresponsible and just say, I ah, know everything should be thrown out in the open, you know, <laughs> right. totally regardless of everything. Um, but at the same time, um, there is a duty to uh, expose works of darkness and um, and to especially if if people are being victimized and and the victimizers are only going to continue if you let it continue to happen, then I wouldn't say that you, you not only um, you, you should think about releasing, you have an obligation to, to release that information to protect your brother or your sister who is being victimized will continue to be victimized. Yeah, and it's, it's going to require wisdom, uh, a level of shrewdness. Uh, this isn't willy-nilly, let's just release all the docs. And, and another thing I'm going to say is that I would sort of ask back to whoever it is that's asking that question about, oh, what about the, the lone soldier there who has his, his um, position uncovered? Are you also as concerned about what the state is doing wrong? Are you equally as concerned about all of the corruption and all of the, the disgusting sin that they're involved in? Or are you using this lone soldier as a tactic to take pressure off of the government. It's sort of like a lot of times when someone comes forward with a whistleblowing, people focus on how the whistleblower went about it wrong. And in many cases, they may have. But to take the pressure entirely off of the the bigger issue, which was what is actually being uncovered, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Both, both you, Jason and Jordan, uh, are, are absolutely right on that point. And I see the same thing Anytime whistleblowers come forward, whether it's in the church or whistleblowers on a governmental level, such as Snowden and Assange and so on and so forth, where they expose a massive amount of evil, whether it's in the church and you're dealing with sexual assault scandals or rape or pedophilia or, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank, my goodness, um, or whether you're dealing with the, the, frankly, the murder of innocent civilians and warfare. And they expose that. And instead of the people responsible for those evil things being held accountable, what we get is the individuals responsible for the exposing uh, are put under a microscope. And any tiny fault in them is 
maximized in order to delegitimize what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's every single thing. It's the every same single time where if if a woman goes before a board of elders in some mega church and says, "This happened to me, and this is what I've seen." All too often, I know this is somewhat of a caricature, perhaps, but I've literally heard actual examples of this kind of thing happening. What's going to be focused on is that one time she wore a too short of a skirt. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a similar example, just kind of blowed up on a national or international scale, where the men and the women in the higher ranks of our government who are responsible for actually putting that lone infantryman in that dangerous position in the first place aren't hold, held accountable at all. Yeah. That's but, the yeah. that's the layers to it. Right. All the and there's a double standard. And, yeah. Why are we so concerned about Julian Assange public like publishing troop movements, but not concerned about the people who are putting the troops there in the first place when the war is not just? Yeah. I do think there should be some due diligence. I don't think that you should just uh, publish everything. However, I do think we should have a a fair standard on both sides. Yeah. I agree 100%. That's good stuff. Man, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Check us out on Facebook, Cross and Crown Radio. Um, Lots more to cover. We'll come right back in a second. Even over pages, one day he's coming back. You just gotta have patience. All hell. King Jesus, 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 all hell. King Jesus. I'm born again, I got peace of mind. The peace of mind that he gives. Yeah. And I ain't got to write deeper lines. Cause he's as deep as it gets. Yes. He's a high priest who sits. Yes. He sits all in his throne. Uh-huh. He's the only one who's equipped. For I sins, he did atone. Don't you see that Jesus purchased me? Uh-huh. See the blood on that mercy seat? As a man, he was born in Bethlehem. But he's from eternity. Now that's Bible. Micah 5-2. You believe he's God? Yes, I do. The only hero to die for the villains. That's poetic like haiku. I was pathetic and prideful. Yeah. Sin debt, I should have died too. Uh-huh. Worship many idols. In my own eyes, I was wise too. At the right time, when we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. Yes. Now right rhymes for him. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalms 33, verses 16 through 22. Amen. Amen Amen indeed. Welcome back to Crossing Crown Radio. We're going to get into some discussion more on the whistleblowing issue and the issue of statism. But before we get into that, we wanted to let you know, listeners, what you can expect from us coming forward moving forward, I should say, um, we are going to tackle these issues one season at a time. So every uh, 12 episodes, we'll start a new season. We're going to reboot. We're going to take a few weeks off. One for each tribe of Israel. Yeah, there you go. We want to take some time. All of us work full-time jobs. We're very, very busy. Um, There's just a lot going on, but we want to take some time to reboot sort of uh, take a breath to come back. So we have a couple more episodes of this season. This is episode number 11. We're going to have 12 next week, and then we will take some time off. But um, we want to let you know that ahead of time. Just follow us on Facebook. Make sure you stay connected there. We'll still be posting content and so forth. So we've been talking about whistleblowing. We have Julian Assange. He was arrested. He was pulled out of the Ecuadorian uh, embassy in London this week. Uh, this past week, I should say. And he was the founder. He was big with WikiLeaks. You have uh, Snowden, who was blowing the whistle on the NSA. Um, You have um, the man named Chelsea Manning, 
who was blowing the whistle on military stuff. So we're talking military operations. We're talking um, NSA spying on Americans. We also have the issue of uh, emails, Hillary Clinton's email stuff, where basically um, Bernie was shoved to the side in favor of Hillary. And that was exposed with some of the stuff with WikiLeaks. And so you have Republicans and you have Democrats on all sides of the issue, frustrated because it doesn't fit their narrative. You know, when it goes against the other team, great, hurrah, hurrah. And at the end of the day, though, a lot of this stuff is the issue of statism. We have so much statist issues. We need to define that before we go too far. But, but I think that's where we have to land. That's, that's the uh, main problem, a big bloated government. Um, what do you guys think? How would you guys define statism? What is it? Because, well, I mean, I'll just say this, and then you guys, John, you got it. You're ready to go. I know I can tell. We have, it's not whether there's a theocracy, but which God is going to be at the center of that theocracy. That's right. We're presuppositionalists. There's no neutrality. We know that that's where it starts. But what do we need to be thinking of in terms of socioeconomics, um, religious presuppositions? What is statism? Why is it evil? And why do we hate it? Statism can be a lot of things, and a lot of people can be guilty of statism, and I think that needs to be said right off the bat. This is not a Democrat problem. If you're a Republican, you're thinking, oh yeah, those Democrat socialist statists. I just want you to look at yourself. Look in the mirror, because Republicans are also guilty of this. I'm not saying Democrats aren't. I'm saying Almost every political color can be guilty of statism. I would define statism as any idea or philosophy or, uh, you know, school of thought that says that what is right, what is morally right is going to be determined by the government. It's going to be determined by some sort of human organization as opposed to God's law. Whenever questions of ethics and morality comes up, whenever, you know, whenever questions revolving around ethics comes up, if your answer is, well, the law says this, as opposed to God's law says this, then you're guilty of statism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think R.C. Sproul said it really well. He said, in statism, we see the suffix ism, which indicates a philosophy or worldview. A decline from statism to a statehood to statism happens when the government is perceived as or claims to be the ultimate reality. This reality then replaces God as the supreme entity upon which human existence depends. Right, right, exactly. I really like what uh, Rush Dooney said about statism. He said a lot of things about statism. Uh, one of the things is the the first duty of every state is to protect the state, not the people. Anything the state operates or does is good in any and all spheres, education, war, peace, spending, and so on. What is public or statist is good. What is private is bad. So it's very much focused on the collective. Right, collectivism over against individualism. And that's when we get into the discussion of the one and the many, as we were talking about in the break, because... Um, guys like Hegel were very much collectivist and very much focused on the one. And when they were looking at society, they saw basically a collective consciousness uh, all manifested in the state and the state as primary and the state um, as the embodiment of the collective ideal, as if there it could be um, sort of a singular focus or singular culture. And that's also where we get the difference between the modern concept of a nation state which is actually more of a modern thing. I mean, you can take traces of it from back in the Greek uh, era as well. But um, the modern concept of a nation state isn't the same as a country. It's more specific than that. A nation state, um, it could be um, multi-ethnic. It could be um, not just one ethnic group, but it's a shared culture, a shared uh, idea around the way that we think about things. And um, in... America, more and more, you see statism manifesting itself through basically worshiping of the government and worshiping of, quote, America, <laughs> meaning yeah. what we see uh, manifested in statism. Mm -hmm. You brought up the Greek philosophy. It really goes back to, to a lot of those ideas go there. Aristotle saying that man is a political animal. I mean, he, he's, he wasn't, you know, hiding his cards there. He left them all on the table to show us what he thinks of man, man's purpose is to serve the state. And that's, that's where it all is rooted in. When statism is, is basically the, the uh, false theocracy of the collective. If you remember in Sparta, you had the... Uh, I don't remember. The, if you remember in Sparta, <laughs> you had the young uh, boys of the, 
of that era being collected by the state, grown and raised to become fighting warriors to serve the aims of the state, taken away from the family, usurping the family, because the state is ultimate. The family only serves exists to serve the state. So pa- pause real quick. You're saying ancient pagan Sparta took children, trained children, and then enlisted them as warriors for the state in statist like training education. And it is never, it, are, are you describing public education? I was just going to say, and it never happened again. Yeah, never, yeah. Wait a second here. <laughs> so this, this discussion about statism that we're talking about after the break, it's very relevant in the broader conversation about whistleblowers and Assange and, and Manning and Snowden, because ultimately it comes down to who is going to be, uh, uh, Who's going to be God in this situation? Mm-hmm. Who are we going to answer to ultimately? Because we have we had the hypothetical question about the lone infantryman. Like, what about him? You know, what about the troop movements that are released, so on and so forth? And that's a good hypothetical question. And uh, there's a lot of double standards involved in that, and like we discussed. But there's also the broader question of if you're going to have something like the United States of America, a modern nation state, or it could be Germany or Great Britain or Russia, you just fill in the blank, whatever. Things like the CIA and the NSA mm-hmm. are seen as inevitable consequences of having a modern nation state. So the idea of just even dealing with the foundational questions of should we even govern ourselves this way have to be brought up. Or else we are dealt with what most people would call necessary evils. Mm-hmm. However, as presuppositionalists, as theonomists, frankly, just as Christians, is evil actually ever necessary? Or do we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to follow God and honor God? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. a, that's a great point. And I think your point is manifested. If you look at the Constitution, you can have all the amendments you want. You can have uh, Congress shall make no law respecting uh, or prohibiting the free exercise of um, of religion, the the abridgment of freedom of speech or of the press, uh, you can have all of those protections that you want. But when your God is the state, it becomes real clear that those protections get thrown by the wayside real fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Second Chronicles sixteen verse nine: For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So what we're what we're describing here, you brought up, you know, we're theonomists, presuppositionalists, we're Christians, we're, we like the Bible, and the Bible is not unclear on the issue of statism, especially when you put put this whole thing of these whistleblowers in the context of someone who blows the whistle against, you know, the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-sovereign government. Of course, they're seen as a threat. It's a rival. They're a subversive. There's someone who is exposing their claim to sovereignty. And that, it really is the core issue. The, um, Snowden, especially back when that whole thing was going down, is viewed as, I, I remember you know, some Christians back, back when this was happening, I remember when he got to Russia, it was all over Twitter, um, Christians saying, look, he's an enemy, he's on the run. And in this knee-jerk reaction, again, our reactionary theology, right? People not seeing, what did he expose? He exposed wickedness. And so this rival God, this theocracy that we have set up right now in America is a terrible theocracy because it's a God who can't actually see everything, but tries to. Uh, Satan's mimicking of, of the Dominion Covenant. Satan's mimicking of the kingdom of Christ. So as far as like what I, what I would say, and I think even Francis Safer said this back in the 80s, Outside of the church, statism is our greatest threat. Absolutely. And, and, and it is a religion. It is religion. Mm-hmm. And most, I would say most people don't even see it. Where every facet of my life and your life, every listener's life, is just embroidered with governmental regulations. Like what I eat, what I wear, where I drive, how I drive, what I do for work. And obviously, you know, how much money I take home after working Mm -hmm. 50, 60 hours a week. (laughs) It's a huge factor. The government is completely entrenched in every facet of my life and everybody's lives. And we don't think it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So ultimately statism, like we were talking about is a replacement of God as our sovereign. And this really, you know, I I think Jordan, you mentioned the, the one of the many issue when statism becomes an issue uh, within Christianity where Christians become statists, 
this is Unitarianism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and let me explain that just real right. quick. The, the idea is that the Trinity as a theological concept is a balance between the one and the many. It is not collectivistic. It is also not individualistic. It right. is the one and mm -hmm. the many together in unity. And that is a foundation of Christian philosophy. This yep. is a foundation of reality. And whenever you overemphasize the collective to such a radical degree, like most American Christians do, and I would say just Christians in the West, I should say. I don't want to necessarily throw Americans under the bus. Just Christians in the West for the most part. They are, frankly, engaging in philosophical ideas that, that overemphasize the collective. And all of a sudden, they have a political science that is essentially denying the Trinitarian nature of reality. Mm -hmm. They're effectively a political Unitarians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Van Til taught us very well that the equal principle of equal ultimacy can only happen in the Trinity. God is one and he is three, one yep. and three. And all that philosophy works itself out in every single area of life, whether you're talking about a marriage covenant or a civil covenant with, with God and how we are to, to be governed. Jordan, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think that one thing that we need to remember is when we look at passages like Romans 13, we are not commanded to submit to amorphous entities referred to as the state, mm -hmm. some sort of reification of a person in the state, right? We are told to submit to rulers, and rulers are described as those who are a terror to to bad conduct, not a not terror to good conduct. And if we look at Snowden and all these guys, the, the government is being a terror to good conduct in, in many of these cases. Um, it says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. Well, you know what? Edward Snowden did what was right. And, and you see what happens to him. There, people are calling for, in many mm -hmm. cases, the death penalty. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Or, or, yeah. or, or long-term imprisonment. I, I think even um, Ben Sass, um, and he did say this on, on Twitter. Yeah. He said, uh, it's a good thing that Assange, um, uh, that this happened and he should be thrown in prison for life. Yeah. Now, Ben Sass, who is a professing Christian, he is a uh, member in the PCA church, I believe. Um, we shouldn't be arguing for anybody being thrown in prison for life. Let's just start there. Right. Biblically, the punishment for actual crime is death, it is restitution, or it is whipping. And those are the three options that you basically have. In, in being, being thrown in a cage like an animal is not for one the rest of those of options. Not one of those options. So, mm -hmm. so let's let's go back to transcendent biblical principles and start there. And second of all, um, you know, exposing secrets that's not necessarily wrong. Mm -hmm. Could be gossip, right? Right. But if what you're exposing is the evil that the public needs to know, so that it won't continue in the future, then what Ben Sass is doing is he's actually calling for the good actions to be uh, punished in direct opposition to Romans 13, right? It says, um, if you do wrong, be afraid. You're supposed to be afraid if you do wrong, not if you do right. For he, the ruler, does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is not a status entity. This is an actual person who we are to render our submission to, provided that they are... Um, that they are ruling in a, in accordance with God's law. There's yeah. no abstract collective, like the American federal government. Right. It's actually several people right. who are either just or unjust. I would mm -hmm. say they're pretty much all unjust. Yes. And, and you, 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 you bring up Ben Sass, for example, and there's so many just like him. Mm -hmm. Um, you just wonder how many committee hearings they're a part of that talk about national defense and other issues where these people are every bit as complicit Mm -hmm. Every bit is complicit. And we're supposed to think that they're going to be a good judge of this. Right. No, these are these are the people who are voting for the unjust laws. Right. These are the people who are voting for the unjust wars or not voting at all for any kind of war, but definitely letting the president <laughs> do whatever he wants with yeah. his bombs and his airplanes and his troops. And are totally OK with, you know, half a trillion dollar military spending budget. Well, of course, because it's never their money. <laughs> it's yet yeah, right. It's easy to spend other people's money. And this brings up another great point. When you're looking at the transcendent law 
that was given to Israel and what the purpose of government there was. And when you look at in the New Testament, what it's reconfirmed to be in Romans 13, the government is about punishing civil crime. And it's not about being this massive entity to where it's covering all areas of life. It's hounding you everywhere you go. And it's going all over the globe, um, trying to put naval bases in every country. It's fighting in wars that you uh, should have nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. And you've got this massive police state all across the globe. This is not, this is not prescribed in scripture for any um, the ruler to have his hands in. Rulers are supposed to judge between good and evil in court situations, right? As appointed from the local community on a very local decentralized level. Right. There is no need for this massive, massive state. And you see what happens. We're, look around you in the world. Look at everything that's going around. And everything that's been going around for the past two centuries, especially. And, and I mean, for much longer than that. But that's what you have, the result mm -hmm. of deviating from God's purpose for government. Imperialism. Both, not just in right and wrong in terms of the judgments that it makes, but in jurisdiction. And I don't think that's the, the idea that people need to understand is regulative principle of government, where government only has the jurisdiction over areas that are specifically given. It doesn't have this carte blanche um, blank check to rule over every area of your life, undercutting the family, undercutting um, the church, undercutting individuals, right? It's for, for specific purposes. And when we go beyond that, mm -hmm. then we run into all these kind of problems. Amen. I think that's a really great point because most people, most Christians would understand that if the government directly commands me to sin, then you should say no. Mm -hmm. But what's not understood is the issue of jurisdiction. Not only does the government not have the authority to command people to sin, they only have the authority given to them by God. Right. Mm -hmm. And they don't, there's some areas they have no authority to make any judgment whatsoever because it's just not their area. Well, right. It's what Russian would call the direction of the law. Mm -hmm. What's going to be our basic presupposition while looking at God's law word is it that uh, the nation state has all the power and then liberty is given to us in specific details? Or is it that individuals have liberty and then we have restrictions put on us? That's a, it. There you go. While you were saying that, this is what <laughs> sort of triggered in my mind. You have the CIA backed coups going on in Central America and all of a sudden you know several years later we have you know caravans coming and suddenly we got to close down the borders and no one can have avocados right <laughs> and it's just this cluster of of futility we'll call it because it's just nonsense all around and 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 statism is a faith for all of life so all of these things are happening only god knows and some you know officials in the pentagon all the nonsense we do in the Middle East to, you know, Ron Paul's blowback, right? Thinking and philosophy. Um, but I'm thinking we sound like crazy people here. <laughs> like we love God's law and think the government should be on a leash. And, and not only should the government be on a leash, it should be so stinking tight mm -hmm. that we should be able to walk into the magistrate's office and know him by name. And they should be accountable like everyone else. Exactly. Well, I think we always think that our government here and now is way better than it used to be. Right. Oh, we're yeah. civilized. Right. Yeah. We're, we're way better than it was in the sixties and seventies. Right? Yeah. We're way better than, <laughs> but the thing is we're, you know, our children are going to look back and say, man, it was really corrupt in 2019. It's better now here, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Because this is not the United States government that, I don't know, like planted evidence on individuals in the 60s and civil rights movement. That's that government. <laughs> yes. It's this government yeah. now. But it's uh, the point I want to make, though, is like we sound like crazy people because we're thinking that we should uphold God's law and the government should be on a leash. But the thing is, is the Constitution itself for all its issues, which is a whole nother episode, <laughs> but they, they don't even care about that. We're not even governed by that anymore, the, where we have powers given to the government and it's just blown up. It's blown out of proportion. So we sound crazy talking about God's law. Well, we can't even agree that they're blowing up the Constitution and not even following due process mm -hmm. with the police state and Absolutely. all this garbage of you know people being pulled over because maybe they have some weed maybe they don't we'll just try it exactly and i have just two exhortations here first for you know edward snowden julian assange and and manning 
I'm sure they're very upset at how all these things are going. But one thing I'm guessing they're not thinking is that all of society in the United States of America is predicated on the fact that almost all the children go to schools who are total, which are totally controlled by regulations from the state. And these schools are socialism training centers. They're collectivist training centers. Mm -hmm. They are religious centers where they teach. Don't be fooled. They teach a religion in those schools. And the religion is set aside the word of God and make yourself, us, us as humans, humanistically speaking, make ourselves into someone that will save ourselves. Mm -hmm. They're teaching a different savior. They're teaching a different political order. And they're teaching collectivism. Mm -hmm. And so when Edward Stone and Julian Assange and... Chelsea Manning, when they grow up and they see all these terrible things happening to them, well, it's sort of like on one level, what do you think is going to happen? The state's going to become this huge state because we've been training up all the children in statism, mm -hmm. right? And so we cannot forget that. Of course, you're going to have statism when almost all the children are being raised and trained in it. Aristotle, if he could see this, my yeah. goodness, he would be blown away. Right. Look how amazing. They're doing great farming these children <laughs> for the state. Wow. I could have never dreamed of such an elaborate scheme. Yeah. I mean, people successful. pay ta property tax to fund well, it's somebody a, else's kid. This is genius. Yes. So last week we we're talking about how. Uh, people aren't going to be able to worship publicly because they're not vaccinated. Yeah, another manifestation of statism. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's it's this it's, it's the same thing. We must inject your children with <laughs> the substance. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the second exhortation is that, and as post millennialists, I think this is important. Sometimes we can get discouraged, right? Because, and I touched on this earlier. It can just seem really daunting. How are we going to get through all these powerful government agencies? They've got all the power. They've got all these, you know, resources at their disposal. They've got all the secrets. Um, they've got all the power and the guns, etc. Well, it's important to remember that these people don't drive history. That their error eventually becomes manifest to all, and they delegitimize them. They're so smart; they're too smart for their own good, and they mm -hmm. end up delegitimizing themselves. North had a lot to say about um, how we shouldn't actually get too get caught up too much in conspiracies, though real conspiracies do exist. That we shouldn't let them cause us to be paralyzed ourselves. So, a lot of times, you have a lot of secrecy, a lot of conspiracy, a lot of things happening. You know, the deep state, um, things you can't control. And don't be deceived. This secret knowledge, this Gnosticism won't take dominion long term. Be faithful. Obey the Lord in your calling and leave the results up to him. So let me give you this quote from North. He says, the ancient Gnostics believe that man is saved by secret knowledge. They believe that man needs to be liberated from this world of matter and elevated through secret initiation and certain ascetic techniques into the realm of spirit. Certain groups of contemporary New Age humanists hold a very similar viewpoint. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians and far too many we-must-reveal-the-conspiracy fanatics who have adopted a variation of this ancient heresy. Their, quote, secret initiation into knowledge about their enemies, whether their enemy is the devil in the case of Christian investigators or the conspiracy in the case of radical conservatives or leftists, serves them as a psychological justification for doing nothing. They think that just knowing more and more about the next conspiracy relieves them from doing anything about it. Their endless studying is an excuse for their inactivity. They spend their time with other similarly minded people, enjoying the impotent luxury of exchanging secret phrases and knowledge of secret things. They have imitated their enemies. They have created their own inner ring, a secret ring, which knows all about their enemy's secret ring. They have become hypnotized with circles within circles. Their great spiritual enemy thereby removes from them the real, removes them from the real fight. End quote. That's great. I Man, love that. It's classic. I think North. we all know that person's like, I'm in the know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're in the know about being in the know. Yes. <laughs> and what are they actually doing with their life? No, they're in the know. That's what that's they're what doing. That's what they're doing. Yeah. That's their job. They're in the know. So let's end it with a positive note, right? Yeah, oh. that sounds good. Well, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and, and close it out. Um, you can check us out on Facebook. Go to Cross and Crown Radio. Check out our website, too. Remember us in your prayers and giving, crosscrownchurch.com. And check out the seminary. seminary. Check it out. Go to the page. Read what we're up to. And maybe considering joining us in this mentorship, discipleship program. We want to pour into you so that you can work locally. 
We need to do a whole episode on localism, I think. I think we'll so. We'll put that on the docket. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll work. Um, but yeah, that's it for us. You guys Making good? seminary great again. Making seminary great again. All right. <laughs> we will see you next time. Grace and peace. Yes.